Welcome to our podcast, Women in STEAM, Perspectives from the Field. My name is Aspen Slavic Erlock, a member of Shorecrest Preparatory School's Class of 2022. I'm honored to run our high school STEAM club for girls and your host for today's episode. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs. Today, for our inaugural episode, I'm excited to interview one of my most influential mentors, Mrs. Lisa Peck. Mrs. Peck is a long-standing member of our faculty at Shorecrest, as well as the director of our Center for Medical Science, a program I've been involved in throughout my high school experience and through which I met Mrs. Peck. Throughout my studies in her classes for the past two years, she has inspired me to continue pursuing a career in STEAM. Please join me in our interview as I welcome her today. Um, I would like to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I would like to follow up with some questions about your experiences as a woman of science. Historically, women have been tracked away from science and math fields, limiting their options to continue in these fields. What was your science experience as a female growing up? Um, okay. Um, first of all, um, as a child, my father was like the best um, role model for me because he grew up on a farm. He was an electrician, went to school for have a trade, and um, I always was outside with him. My sister was inside with my mom. So he learned me, taught me about the love of nature to be very observant. Like we would walk through the woods. Um, he helped me learn how to rebuild carburetors and how to look inside cars. Like I wasn't allowed to touch his car unless I learned how to work on his car. And taught me about electricity and just kind of got me kind of spurred on. And then um, as I moved through the grades, I had a couple all-male science teachers, all-male science teachers, and male math teachers. In middle school, I had one science teacher who um, brought in cow's eyes, and we got to dissect them. And I was so into it, he actually, I asked him if there were some extras, if I could take them home to show my dad, because my mom wouldn't want to see them, and he let me take them home. And so then um, I started getting into it a little bit more, and by the time I got into high school, I had fabulous science teachers. They were all male. Um, math teachers were just okay. They definitely were not encouraging females whatsoever. Um, I uh, saw gender bias in the classroom, um, unfortunately, and, and it's, it's implicit. They don't even know they're doing it. So when they would ask a question, um, for some women it takes time to you know pause, think about what you want to say, and they would immediately pick the boy's hand who went up first. So I learned just to jump out there, sit in the front, put my hand up, and got really engaged. And I'm kind of a, a type A kind of uh, type person. So I just jumped out there and learned to have a more um, dynamic personality. So I would get picked on, and I would um, get attention during the lab, because the boys always got the attention in the lab as well. Wow, that's incredible. And how, how fortunate that your dad was yes. so open about sharing that with you. That's awesome. Um, and what would you say, I know you, you already went into this a little bit, but what difficulties did, did you experience beyond just your teachers during your educational journey through the STEAM-related classes? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, I, I, as I said, with teachers, not having any female teachers in the sciences, only in, uh, not even in the histories, only in English, was oh, in home ec, where my uh, female teachers... Um, I had to learn to stand out, and I got very engaged, and I learned how to join every club and be 
become really engaged in school. But I also found that I had biases um, amongst my peers. So for the first three years, uh, myself and two boys competed for the number one position in school with our GPA. And um, back then, there weren't AP courses. They were just starting to be developed, but in English. And that so wasn't my, uh, my specialty, so I didn't take that. But I got my first B in chemistry, and I was devastated because now it's no longer first. I dropped down. And they didn't um, rate classes. So home ec and um, any of the technical classes and typing was rated just as good as. And I had nuclear physics, I had advanced physics, advanced bio. So, so I dropped to six in the class. So I was, I was devastated. But that actually kind of spurred me on. Um, so I was very competitive, and I think that helped me because although everything was more male-driven in my physics class, I was the only girl, I became um, very motivated to succeed and be the top of my class, which transcended into college as well. Wow, and what a good learning lesson to say, not just being the best motivated you further, but actually learning a little bit of humility. It was the best thing. I, I was devastated at the time, but it was the best thing for me because you don't always have to be... Number one, you don't always have to have an A in order to actually have achieved and learned and been inspired to go on want to pick up a book or now go onto the internet and search and learn more. So it actually was a perfect experience for me. It was humbling, um, but it became more of a drive for me as well. Wow. And then I know that you said um, you know, a couple times now that you didn't really have any female teachers other than in your home ec or English classes, but outside of teachers, were there any mentors that you were able to find in your young um, so my middle school and high school um, uh, education was during the 70s, so there really weren't um, a lot of uh, mentors out there. Uh, people weren't really reaching into the classrooms and trying to help. Um, during Girl Scouts, I had a great mom who took me to a couple experiences outside into the business community. And then they started something called Science Explorers. So they had explorers, uh, career explorers. And there was police explorers. I did that because uh, a lot of my family are policemen. And then I also did uh, Science Explorers, which was more of an engineering and a medical explorers. And they took us out. Once a month, you went out into the community. And um, although it was mostly men doing these jobs and walking us through their labs and such, it was very inspiring. So I think that's a big thing is just to get young women ex ex excited about what's out there in our community. That's incredible. So then, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, I know that we have a, a really strong STEAM presence here at Shorecrest. This is only my third year, but I just know that from experience and things that I've gotten involved with. Um, and how did you come to teach here at Shorecrest? Okay, um, I've been teaching here for 19 years. Um, I married my husband, who's from Clearwater, Florida. So and he's originally from Erie is how I met him up there. And um, I was getting involved with the Pennsylvania Department of Ed on how to improve science education at the collegiate level. So I was very engaged in science, and science education from elementary on up, especially learning about gender biases in education. Um, and I met him and moved down here. So I was going to start all over again. So I interviewed a bunch of places. Um, I was able to teach all three disciplines and fell upon Shorecrest because I was trying to find the best school for my son. He was 10 at the time. Um, and I just like the experiences that were offered here. So I started here as a conceptual physics teacher. That's the only opening they had because I actually wanted the biology and AP bios, et cetera, um, and ended up falling in love with that. I was the only female teacher, for, science teacher, for many years. Yeah, there was no female teachers. I was the first female teacher, um, which was good for you know, girls to see a female face you know, teaching sciences. 
And, and then eventually we had a chemistry teacher. She lasted one year. And then um, Dolores Gendy uh, started a couple years ago. She replaced our physics teacher. So now there's a couple female um, teachers in our science department, which is pretty nice. That's incredible. I had no idea even just being in two of your classes now that you were the first female science teacher here. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Well, um, and you said that you've been working here for 19 years now. How did you see the STEAM program grow over that time, especially with your contribution to the medical sciences? Okay, see the STEAM program grow at Shorecrest. Gosh, it has, like, exploded. It's, it's pretty exciting. So we always had a great science program. We followed the physics first, which follows, like, the cognitive development of brains instead of just alphabetically biology, chemistry, physics, like a lot of the public schools do. So we had a really good um, idea of how to teach science and, and how to follow a good protocol, how to have an inquiry base and how, how to have it experiential, but there was something lacking. And in 2014, a couple students of mine in my anatomy class came to me and wanted to start a club because I was already a sponsor of a few other clubs. And they wanted to have a STEM club. And uh, upon research, I already knew what STEM was, but I knew there was a lot of design and there was a lot of issues with the United States. We were um, not as competitive when it came to our math scores, but we were very entrepreneurial and we were very design-oriented and thought outside the box. So I did a little research and found that the big push was to call it STEAM, to include that art and design component to it. So I went to Dr. Baralt, who was the head of our technology. Um, she's very involved with trying to inspire young women in more robotics and computer science. And we also had um, Courtney Walker. She was in charge of our library makerspace. And together, we created a club called the Girls Steam Club. And um, it has really exploded. It's pretty exciting. So we have high school women who are interested in sharing experiences in STEAM uh, with younger girls, trying to get them engaged. So we uh, went through a process where they had to be vetted. They had to really want to be in this group, and they would fill out like an application and what are they interested in. And from there, uh, we selected a middle school girls from Shorecrest and from Academy Prep, a school that's um, in the south side of St. Pete. And we would bring these girls together once a month, and um, we would uh, the high school girls would select and create a topic, some kind of STEAM-based topic, um, there was always a theme, and uh, the high school girls would do a mini presentation where the kids were having a snack, and they would always show one or two pictures of women in this scientific area. Um, we like to have someone of color so that the girls from Academy Prep would see someone that represented them as well. Um, and they had these amazing design challenges, uh, problem solving, um, inquiry based. It was it was very exciting. The kids like they got right away. They got into it. It was it was quite exciting. Um, and from that, it exploded into a bigger group, and then we started taking our science and took it down to Academy Prep. Instead of those kids always coming to us, our girls would come down to them. So um, it's become quite engaged, and now um, it's systemic. It's throughout the entire school. So my kids go down and teach the elementary kids in science and teach them different mini lessons. Um, and seventh graders do an amazing um, unit on infectious disease, and their kids will teach my kids, so um, it's, it's pervasive around the school now. I remember um, the, the STEAM program that we had going with the Academy Prep Girls for the past couple years now, which since COVID has been halted, but it was so amazing to see them interact, and girls, I mean, I remember being that age, you barely really know anybody, you're kind of sticking more towards your friends, but if somebody was 
I remember we were doing a blood pressure lab. They would engage with each other that way, like, hey, you have a lower blood pressure than I do. What does that mean? Or maybe if I sit longer, I can make it go down. So I remember seeing just kind of like the initial spurs of girls getting inspired with, oh, wait, I can do this. This isn't as hard as it seems. Hey, mm-hmm. those girls look like me. This isn't as hard. Exactly. And then also, it wasn't just Dr. Baralt and myself and Courtney Walker teaching. It was young women teaching, which I thought was really cool. So we would have our meetings before our monthly meeting with the middle school kids, and it was pretty cool. You guys would work out your own lessons, and then you would deliver the content and walk around and help the kids. So I think that's very powerful. Yeah, it was, it was a great time. I miss seeing girls a lot, actually. It was nice once a month to come together and say hi. But, um, but in your classes, I know I've been in, in both of your medical sciences classes now, how do you see the female versus male students interact with them? Um, I know, I think just this year, looking at a, at a small case, we have predominantly women in, in the medical sciences classes, um, but how do you see those interactions differ between uh, male and female students? That's a good question. Um, from my experience of having taught different sciences, different types of curricula, I think there's um, more females generally sign up for biological sciences and medical sciences, whereas more males sign up for the computer the entrepreneurial, the app-making, the engineering courses, and I think that's important, needs to be addressed. Um, In my class, always in the beginning, everyone's kind of quiet, especially when you have males and females in the same class. No one wants to look stupid, and you would think by the time you'd get to 11th grade, um, that kind of worry would subside itself as kids became more confident, but that's not the case. They don't want to look stupid. They're afraid to answer a question. So in the very beginning, I I strive to try to explain to them that there's a lot of research, and I try to find the research because everyone says there's research. So it's nice to actually present and show them research that says that if you have some skin in the game, and you know this, I say this all the time to the kids, I do a lot of Q&A and throw out questions and try to tie old stuff to new stuff, old content to new content. When I'm throwing out questions, I said it's much better for you to have an answer and speak it out loud and be wrong because now you'll remember it longer and long term. So not only just for the test that's coming up before um, of end of the year assessment or even for lifelong, that if you have skin in the game and you got the wrong question, the wrong answer, excuse me, um, you'll remember what the answer was. And there's lots of, uh, uh, lots of research about that where our brain really doesn't want to be right all the time. It wants to be challenged. And when it's challenged and it doesn't know the answer, it attends more. And that accommodation of that new content really goes into long-term memory. So I try to get my kids to feel comfortable speaking out and having the wrong answers. So when someone says something wrong and someone giggles, I said, I, I really praise that person. I'm like, oh my gosh, you are going to remember this on the test. And sure enough, come the test, they got it right. They got an A. And then I'm praising them. I can't say they got the A. I'm praising them saying, oh my gosh, see that you had some skin in the game. You were engaged in class and you really remembered it. So um, trying to get everyone to feel comfortable speaking out. And in one of my classes, I have two or three boys. Two of them are very quiet. They're more type B personality. One's type A. But even with that, he doesn't engage that much. I have to call on him. He sits more towards the back of the classroom. And and so trying to get them involved um, is, is a big challenge. Trying to get the girls to feel comfortable speaking out in front of boys is a big challenge as well. Well, and I remember, not to get too off topic, but I remember looking at um, the brains that are more adept to receiving information via spatial relations. Mm-hmm. I remember doing that last year in anatomy and physiology and seeing that even though 
They say that women, just biologically speaking, are predisposed to not have as good of spatial relations. The, the young women that were in our class, I would say probably about 90% of them were really good with it, just being able to, to spin images in their brain and seeing transverse versus you know, coronal midsections yeah, and look things at like planes. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking at the planes. Yeah, so there is some research that does say that um, women, some women, and it's not all, it's, um, and, and there's a lot of debate as to 50, 60, 70% of the women have some issues with being able to like read a blueprint and see something from 2D and move it into 3D or do geometry. Um, it's not that they can't learn it, it's just they need more manipulatives. They just need to see it in three dimensions and actually maybe build a blueprint and build it upwards, use toothpicks. Once they start to see it in manipulatives, they get it. It's just we just need to teach women to view things a little different. They just need a little bit more training. And then I find most women who are in the sciences, they already have that. They have that ability to be a little bit more analytical and to spatially resolve problems. Definitely. Well, it definitely gives you a leg up because when you have to work twice as hard to get the basics of something, you're more prone. I mean, just hearing that you were inspired from a young age seems like if that's the, the gift that a lot of young women are given, they're kind of set up better to go into STEAM, but if you already have that working against you and then you don't have anyone working for you as a mentor or anyone around, it makes it very It's hard. challenging, yes. For sure. Um, so going back to, to the STEAM Club for Girls, um, can you tell me a little bit more about that with regard to the upper school and how and why the club started? I know we talked about what we did, but what were, what were the I think the I think there was a lot of push in mainstream media, and you started hearing a lot of STEM, 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 and finally, they finally picked up and realized that it's STEAM, it's not just STEM. Um, so I think some of the young women and, and, and boys started trying to figure out what is this thing called STEM, and um, I started talking about it in the classroom, and I started talking about within what I was teaching, there is computers, there's robotics and medical science, there's AI, there's VR, there's so much more. There's lots of biomedical technology. I brought in a guy who was doing research on zebrafish hearts and using medicine on tiny little zebra, and he created a little EKG machine for a teeny tiny little heart. So I'm just trying to say, teach the kids that there's more out there and just being a doctor. And so I think, um, I, hopefully I kind of inspired these two young women who came to me and asked me if I would sponsor the STEM club. And then um, upon discussion with Dr. Burrell, we decided that it should be called the STEAM club. And from there, it just took off. It took off. It was pretty exciting. That's incredible. And I think it's so important, like you were saying, with an EKG machine for a tinier heart. I mean, in medicine, it's pure innovation. I mean, it every is. day we're seeing Absolutely. new studies and new um, technologies being patented. So I think that's really important that you guys kind of looked further and were saying, this is awesome, but let's push it one step further to have STEAM for those arts involved. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's, there's a, a lack of creativity sometimes seen with more analytical brains that are really into math and really into science and engineering. But then you still need that component of, like you were saying earlier, thinking outside the box and saying, well, how can we really round this out? How can we make it something amazing for the and world? And that's a big push in the sciences is trying to get these kids who are so concrete um, to be more creative and, and maybe explain why did you go through this, this design and if you were, a big thing is, if you were to do this experiment again, how would you change it and why? Like to keep thinking that way, which happens in real science. It's reflected out in the real world anyways. Definitely. Um, so I want to shift gears as we, as we come to a close a little bit. In your classes as well as to a more broad perspective of our entire Shortcrest campus and maybe some things that you implement yourself, how would you encourage in, um, including more women in STEAM and in the fields and in learning more just in general? 
Um, I think it, there, there's, we're at a good start. Um, it's out in mainstream media. A lot of schools are using STEAM to try to um, bring attention to their school, which is fabulous. But I think we need to um, have more experiences, like what we're doing with these girls and having them do science and have fun and enjoy, engage outside of just the classroom, have more clubs. Um, in my medical sciences program, I bring a lot of experts into the classroom, and then I push out into the community. I'm constantly going out and reaching out to, um, I had a robotics engineer in California who designs exoskeletons. Uh, he makes the money, it's called Sudex, he makes the money you know, from industrial and medical, um, excuse me, military applications, but he also is working with paraplegics and putting the exoskeleton on them and trying to help them walk and build up their muscles, et cetera. So having people outside of just doctors and nurses and having them come in and push, my kids push out into community to see these kind of things, um, I think is imperative because they don't know what's out there. Um, I went with our robotics club and we did a tour of Valpac to see robot, and my idea of robot was this man's walking around with hands, and it was the most amazing thing, and I immediately started thinking about all the applications that could be done in medicine, in schools, in homes, et cetera. So I think getting these young ladies out into the um, community and having experiences and being exposed to all sorts of jobs that are in STEAM and then actually having them manipulate stuff and getting engaged with materials, I think it will be very exciting. That sounds incredible. And what advice would you give to women that are trying to pursue something in STEAM or the STEAM-related sciences? And what about their education and career? What advice would you give to them if they're finding any difficulties, if they're finding a little bit of resistance with their peers, with their maybe more predominantly STEAM male teachers? So um, the first thing is to be very driven um, to have confidence. I think with young girls, if they would start in middle school and high school joining clubs, um, getting leadership, you know, maybe not just being the president of a club, but maybe heading a committee or creating your own club or going out in the community and volunteering, it, it teaches young women how to look someone in the eye, how to communicate effectively, how to plan, how to problem solve, how to um, become a leader. I think because once you become more confident in yourself as a young woman, you're more apt to sit up straighter, engage people um, with that confidence. Then you start to study more. You start to see more um, achievements, and it's like a, a snowball. And, and I think trying to educate our schools, our educators at the middle, high school, and collegiate level on how to encourage women to be engaged and to take these STEAM-related courses and then to be aware that there is still gender bias in our education and how we address boys and girls, um, not making it a, accusatory or get someone defensive, but show them real, like um, the one study I saw, they had cameras in the classroom and the teachers knew their cameras were in the classroom and yet they still were shocked when they watched themselves of how much gender bias they showed towards the boys and against the girls. They were shocked because they didn't realize they were doing it. With, it was like implicit, they didn't realize that. So I think maybe trying to educate our educators on trying to be more um, uh, neutral when it comes to gender, trying to encourage our women more. Definitely, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mrs. Peck, for joining us today on our podcast, Women in STEAM, Perspectives from the Field. And thank you so much for empowering girls to pursue their dreams in the areas of science and medicine through your work at Sharkrest. Thank you. Women in STEAM Perspectives from the Field podcast series is a student production of Shortcrest Preparatory School. 
theme composed by Julia Lagakis, class of 2021. Artwork by Shannon Ross, class of 2021. Host, Aspen Slavik-Hirlek, class of 2022. Sound engineering, Shania Dandy-Tall, class of 2021. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs.